Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Dr. Dan Siegel on how our attachment histories impact our current relationships. Hello, everyone, and in just a few minutes, Dan Siegel is going to be joining me for the Attachment Theory in Action podcast today. So you can imagine I am like super excited about this and kind of can't believe I'm actually going to be able to be interviewing this amazing man. I feel like that with a lot of the guests on here. Um, But I do want to, before we get started, give you some background um, on Dr. Siegel. And I'm sure many of you are very familiar with him and his work, but want to share his bio as we get ready to gear up for the interview with him. So Dan Siegel received his medical degree from Harvard University and completed his postgraduate medical education at UCLA with training in pediatrics, child, adolescent, and adult psychiatry. He served as a National Institute of Mental Health Research Fellow at UCLA, studying family interactions with an emphasis on how attachment experiences influence emotions, behavior, autobiographical memory, and narrative. He's a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine and the founding co-director of the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. He is an award-winning educator, a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, and the recipient of several honorary fellowships. He's also the executive director of the Mindsight Institute, an educational organization which offers online learning and in-person seminars that focus on the development of Mindsight in individuals, families, and communities, and how it can be enhanced by examining the interface of human relationships and basic biological processes. His psychotherapy practice includes children, adolescents, couples, and families. He serves as the medical director of the Lifespan Learning Institute and is on the advisory board of the Blue Schools in New York City, which has built its curriculum around Dr. Siegel's Mindsight approach. I'm sure many of you know other books that he has written. The first book that I read by Dr. Siegel uh, was The Developing Mind, and I purchased that. I actually checked this. I purchased that in 2000, read it in 2000, and then had him sign my copy of it in 2003 at the International Theraplay Conference where we had a lunch with him. So. It's hard to believe that it's been now 20 years of exposure to his books and his writings, and I just continue to learn from him uh, with, with every book that he publishes. Some of you also may be familiar with his book, Parenting from the Inside Out. Uh, This was one of his first books directed uh, to parents. He's now written quite a few other parenting books, which you can look up uh, on Amazon, No Drama Discipline, and and quite a few other ones, The Whole Brain Child. Uh, But my favorite in terms of parent books still remains Parenting from the Inside Out. 
and so you will hear us talking about uh, that a bit uh, briefly in our interview. Our interview is going to be related to adult attachment, the adult attachment interview, how our, our attachment histories impact our current relationships. So it's with great pleasure that I am going to move on here in a few minutes to the interview with Dr. Siegel. Do you want to be part of the launch team for Karen's new book, Raising the Challenging Child? Karen and co-author Debbie Reed are looking for people to join their launch team ahead of the book's release on January 7th. Head to Karen's Facebook page, watch her welcome video, and sign up to help Karen and Debbie get the word out on Raising the Challenging Child, available for pre-order soon. So let's... uh. Uh, come back on and, and talk about, you know, re reflective function and mentalization and all of these things that you write about in parenting from the inside out and, and why this is so important to, for, for parents to understand. Yes, well, when you think about the adult attachment interview revealing a state of presence, which can be considered, you know, an open awareness. Some people might call it mindful awareness, where you can have what Eric Hesse beautifully talks about, this dual focus of attention, where you can have this spacious awareness to reflect on not only what's entering uh, awareness through memory, but at the same time, this is the dual part, dual meaning two, uh, focus on the, the interviewer or in the case of therapy, it would be the, the, you know, the therapist. Um, and in a way that uh, the metaphor of the wheel of awareness or its practice in our, our system, you know, allows you to see that when someone has a really strong hub, which is the metaphor for presence, then all sorts of things can arise. So if, if my, you know, mother favored my brother over me, and my wife goes away uh, for a trip, and my daughter won't, let me brush her teeth because as a two-year-old, she wants her mom to help her brush her teeth. And I feel like she's favoring my wife over me. And suddenly all the emotions of being not favored by my mom and my brother being favored rise up. If I don't have a big hub of my wheel, then on my rim, that feeling of losing out, losing my mother, all those attachment networks we talked about. My body becomes dysregulated. Uh, I feel like something's missing in my you know, dopamine-based reward circuits. I, I get this oozy feeling, something's not right, something's not right. And then my mental model is, my mother doesn't love me, my mother doesn't love me. Oh my God, this is terrible. I feel alone and horrible. So those are three networks. Now my daughter's just saying, I'm not going to let you brush my teeth. And meanwhile, I've got all this internal stuff going and I'm lost on the rim, even as I'm telling you this, Karen, I'm getting lost in it. You know, and so now you would say, wow, Dan has preoccupied attachment. Maybe it's not disorganized. You know, maybe he's not unresolved trauma. Maybe it's just leftover garbage, you know, which is what preoccupied attachment is. But in any event, I do ambivalent, I do things that lead my daughter to develop an ambivalent attachment toward me. Sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm intrusive. I'm not terrifying her like, like you would see with her getting disorganized attachment, but I'm confusing her for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't repair it. You know, repair is so important. So you can see that the AAI would beautifully be a window into the dynamic functional uh, um, operating system of my mind. 
that if I have a small hub, think of it like, um, I start aware with this analogy, but think of it like if awareness is like the size of a container of water, if I've got an espresso cup sized container and life dishes out a challenge, like my two year old doesn't want to brush her teeth because her mother's away on a business trip. And that's like a tablespoon of salt, but my container is only the size of an espresso cup. Oh my God, you dump that, that amount of salt into my espresso cup amount of water. It's too salty to drink. And I give her very, mixed messages and confusion and all sorts of not optimal parenting. So she develops ambivalent attachment toward me. But if the same interaction is happening and I've worked on mental presence, like gotten through the metabolized, the leftover garbage or unresolved trauma, for example, now my awareness container is not the size of an espresso cup. It's a hundred gallons big because I've done the work of making sense of my life which means expanding my awareness. That's what presence is. That's what mindful awareness is. And so then if you take everything, for example, I write in aware, you can see now my container is 100 gallons. So my daughter says, I'm not gonna you know, let you brush my teeth. Only mommy can brush my teeth. You don't know how to do it. Mommy, mommy, mommy. You know? And now you dump that stressor of you know, a tablespoon of salt into my 100-gallon tank, mix it up, and the water is fresh to drink. So I say, sweetie, that's fine. You know, I'm going to brush my teeth backwards today, and it's really fun when you do it backwards on your left foot, but you don't need to do it backwards on your left foot today because it's so much fun, but I'll do it. And then I start doing it backwards on my left foot or whatever. And she looks at me and she starts brushing her teeth backwards on her left foot. And I wink at her and she starts giggling and then she tickles me and I tickle her and we're all, we're doing great because it didn't really matter if she didn't brush her teeth for a day, for God's sake, you know, but, but that's because I had this big container that put it in perspective. Mm. And so you lose perspective with ambivalent attachment and the adult preoccupied. Or, you know, the same thing would be true with avoidant. You can go through all that and dismissing attachment. And so, you know, basically, I think the AAI is just this magnificent way where I'll tell you, it's been challenging for me just to put this out there that, you know, I started as in biochemistry and then became a physician and then, you know, worked in psychiatry and then became a researcher in attachment. And, and I am so thankful for all that. And then more recently, by accident, I got into the whole world of mindfulness and mindful awareness and meditation, all that it was just kind of literally accidentally. And, um, you know, uh, in the mindfulness world, especially most of it in research is derived from the Buddhist tradition. And I have dear friends who are in the Buddhist tradition. Narrative is not particularly favored. And even the idea of a self is not particularly favored. In fact, some people call it a delusion. And so when I would say to them, well, I don't know if I agree with that, they go, well, you just don't know because you don't know the wisdom teachings. And I go, well, what are the wisdom teachings? Well, there is no self and narrative is always just a lie, you know? It's the stories your mind is telling you. And I just kind of, my eyes get really wide and I go, well, tell me more about that. And if that person's my patient, I'll even sometimes do an AAI with them and wow, you know, there's all sorts of troubled stuff that they never wanted to access, you know, in a couple of cases like that. And I'm not saying that's true in everybody. And I mean, there's a deep philosophy about what is the self and everything like that. But I think the AAI is fascinating um, as a scientific uh, insight into the power of coherent narratives 
to reveal an integrative state of mind that we call presence. And that in my view, this is very much in contrast to what a number of mindfulness teachers might be teaching, that um, narrative is not the enemy. An incoherent narrative is troublesome, you know, for the individual and people around them. Um, but there is a self. This next book I'm writing is all about this, struggling with this issue. You know, there is a self and it's just not a separate self. It's a kind of relational self as much as a personal self. And the narratives we have don't have to imprison us. They can liberate us, actually, mm. by making sense literally feeling the senses, not just making rationalization go away. By making sense, you integrate your mind and you don't have to deny that the past exists and that memory has been encoded in a certain way and has shaped the structure of your brain. And that you don't have to be like saying, the only thing that's real is now. Well, guess what? There were nows that happened before and nows that will be constrained in the future if you don't make sense of your life with your narrative coherence. You know, but that's, so that's just an interesting, for me, living these two worlds of you know, AI work and attachment work and you know, mostly the, the um, wisdom traditions view of what narratives are. And what's even interesting about that is the word attachment in in the buddhist because they don't want you to be well no no attachment means clinging right it means like like i have to have this like right but it's not yes it's not love of a parent to a child it is interesting if you're very immersed in attachment literature and then they use that word even though it's a different meaning it's 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 just kind of makes your brain flip a little it does well one time i remember when i first made the proposal that amazingly the research findings from mindful awareness on the outcome of doing you know what's called three pillar mind practice focused attention open awareness and kindness training those outcome measures that are carefully collected are almost identical to the outcomes for secure attachment. And I wrote about this in The Mindful Brain. And, you know, the first time I presented that hypothesis at a meeting of the neuroscience meetings to a mindfulness teacher, he said, you don't know what you're talking about. In Buddhist meditation, we try to get rid of attachment. I said, I didn't know what he was talking about. So I said, why would you want to get rid of attachment? And then we had lunch together. So we clarified this one word Initially, it really looks like it's used in two different ways, but he said at the end of the lunch, actually, I think your study of attachment and love is not so dissimilar from what we're trying to say is that you shouldn't have that kind of love in your life. And I went, oh man, really? That was his view at least. I don't, I'm not saying that's everybody's view because certainly it's not the Dalai Lama's view. It's not Jack Kornfield's view. It's not Sharon Salzberg's view. So I'm not, but, but. He actually said, well, they're not as different as you think. We're really trying to let go of your love, even like of a romantic partner. Why would you ever want to have, he said, a romantic partner that you needed? Oh, dear. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I was at a meeting recently with a very renowned mindfulness teacher, and he said he had achieved a certain state close to enlightenment where he didn't need anyone or anything. And... He said that really is the goal of his teaching is to get people where they don't need anyone or anything. And I, I sat there and I was actually with my dear friend, Jack Cornfield, 
And I said, but I want to go swimming. We were in Hawaii. I want to go swimming with the sea turtles with my dear friend, Jack. I'd like to do that. I'm really looking forward to it this afternoon after all the afternoon classes. And he goes, well, that's just needing something. I said, well, I'm okay. I really want to go see the sea turtles. And it was it. It was a really fascinating moment because he really said, you're not enlightened if you want to go swim with the sea turtles. And it was this really, it, it was kind of a strange moment for me because um, I did go swimming with the sea turtles with Jack and it was really fun. And I like having fun with my friends. Yeah. Um, and, and there is a kind of perspective in the mindfulness world, maybe it's extreme, that the movement towards awakening the mind is to say, you don't need anyone or anything. That you can go swimming, but you don't need to. Well, I don't need to. I just enjoyed it. And I'm there in Hawaii and I love sea turtles and I love Jack and doing it together was a blast. So I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm only bringing this up because the AAI kind of reveals an integrative state that enables you to say, I'm willing to fall in love with someone, my child, or if it's a romantic partner, romantic partner, and take the risk that something might happen to them or me. And I'm willing to be vulnerable and say, I love this person, you know, something I need them and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That I think attachment view of applying the AI to romance is actually quite different from the extreme version of mindfulness practice, but not the common practice that maybe you see more from like Sharon Salzberg and, and Jack Cornfield and dear friends of mine who don't teach that way. So I'm, I'm only putting this out there because the word attachment is there and this whole thing about presence, I feel, does not mean giving up desires and needs and longings or a feeling of attachment to those closest to us, you know, a few attachment figures in our life. It means having the spaciousness of awareness that we can live fully with those human um, I'll say needs, but those human experiences of connection and be in committed relationships and risk being hurt and walk ourselves together towards getting older and then ultimately dying and still feel like, as my dear friend John O'Donohue passed away 12 years ago now, said, you know, get a big squeeze out of it. You know, that you're not afraid to give it a big squeeze and have a heck of a great time doing it. So, you know, it, these are just, I think that's what the AAI reveals is that, you know, if you've done your work, you've made sense of stuff, you're fully present, you're, you're, you're willing to be hurt, uh, hurts in the past don't make you flip out, you recognize it was painful, you recognize you were a vulnerable child, you're a vulnerable adult, and that's okay, and you don't have to deny it or do, you know, thousands of hours sitting in a cave somewhere to try not to feel your vulnerability. Um, you can be fully present, fully aware, awakened, you know, as John and I would teach about it, um, and, and feel pain mm-hmm. and, and feel the, you know, as John Kabat-Zinn talks about beautifully, you know, full catastrophe living doesn't mean you have to be a hermit. Yes, yes. 
Wow, what what a, a beautiful summary of of what we we learn from from the AAI. Very very nice way I think to wrap things up. Well, it's beautiful, Karen. Thank you so much for your wonderful work, and you know I hope our conversation, you know, will inspire people to learn more about the AAI or learn it and see, you know, the practical applications and brainstorm. You know, I have a kind of version of parental reflection stuff and um, yes yes and I think it's a even for adolescents to do it you know we have a whole section in there it's probably the most concise summary I've ever written um, you know uh, besides this little thing Alan Schroff and I wrote together called the uh, verdict is in that you can get from our website okay summarizing, summarizing his life's work on attachment in five pages um, but in in the brainstorm book you'll see this really concise section because adolescents don't have that much patience for a lot of words. So I had to say, here's what attachment is. Here's what it may have done to you. Here's what's probably happening in your brain. Here's what you can do to make it better. Here are the questions to explore it. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. You know, and and usually at the end of the podcast, we kind of review books and resources and I mean you've been pretty prolific I don't think we I can even name all of your books but um the the best way for people to um get them you know Amazon and tell people where your website is or whatever like yeah where can people learn more about you know what you're sharing what you're talking about what yeah. you're doing? well there's there's so many things so drdansiegel.com is linked to the mindsightinstitute.com where you'll see all sorts of things on attachment, attachment and couples therapy, attachment therapy in general. There's a 36 hour deep dive into this whole thing you can do. Um, And so there's a lot of fun things to get involved in. If you like reading books, you know, the developing mind third edition will be out next year. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, So we, yeah, it's, it's, it's 20th anniversary. So that's exciting. Um, I had 18 interns working me to revise it. You've got, um, if, you, if you like just the journey of all this stuff, mind or mind sight is about clinical cases, the mindful therapist and aware, you know, is a, is a book to really look at the spacious awareness of presence. Um, and all of them have a slightly different, you know, way that they're done. Um, this new book I'm writing called Mui is, uh, about the integrated, self of me plus we equals we, you know, so that, that there'll be all sorts of things to dive into, but come, come join us in our community. We build, uh, to really explore how we can support each other in applying these ideas out in the world. Yes. Yes. And I always like to do a plug for the lifespan learning Institute and, and all the, the seminars and things that you guys offer there. I know that you've been involved in a lot of those too. So Yes, for yeah. years. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you. It has been such an honor to be able to talk with you and be with you. And I appreciate so much you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. It's been great. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. 